When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay. Oh, I'm double coffee, folks. I apologize for anything that happens due to this. <laughs> I have coffees? I have not double coffeed in this the entirety of this year, but uh, Jolly Jack is going to require some juice to, uh, <laughs> to articulate the way he needs to. <laughs> Jolly oh, Jack juice. This is my Jolly <laughs> Juice for there Jolly is, Jack. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, there. That's where we needed to get. Mm. <laughs> I don't want to know what's in it. We find ourselves once again in the clouds. Tidings, my comrades, we've done it again. The dawn she is breaking, our pints at their end. By morning's cruel light must our sails ascend. Fly far from our families, lovers and friends. The Uhuru breaks through the bottom layer of the clouds, and we can see on every point of the ship, there are crew members who are looking through spyglasses, searching the ground for their next location. I'd like us to start in the heart of the ship as we move across the deck and then through one of the patchwork holes that has not been fully covered up so that we can zip through the ship and find on the Star Watcher's table, Jonnet Kessler. Jonnet, you have been given an incredibly important task. Sometime after you left Nordia, a raven carrying a message came to the Uhuru and gave the Uhuru star-watching coordinates for where your meeting with the Tempest Armada was to take place. You were given the name of a city and a bunch of like complex math equations and like angles to see stars and whatnot. And you have worked out that you're supposed to meet up with the Tempest Armada at a city here in this place. But the Uhuru has been circling this place. You did, I think you arrived early, thanks in part to your navigation skills to this location, but there doesn't seem to be a city here. So I kind of want to check in with Jonnet, who is like rechecking his math at this moment. And <laughs> I, I want to, to see that. And I want to know who has come to like, 
help Jonnet manage the stress of this moment because he feels like he led people astray. I feel like at this point, almost everyone in the crew at some point like pops in to like make sure that everything's okay. And at this point, Jonnet is borderline about to like throw a boot at the door because like, I, kn- I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. Spit. I, I think I'm doing it right. I'm doing what? this right. No, no one's, no one's saying that you're doing it wrong, young sir. No all right, well then- I'm saying he's doing it wrong. Oh, get out of here, Cody, all right? Yeah. We will drop you're you off. You're a prisoner. <laughs> you shouldn't be in this room. <laughs> yeah. Twice to the dearest, we're leaving behind. Who know we can deny. The call of the sky. Help to the strangers who've ever been kind. And once for our friends ne'er to rise Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind Who know we can never deny The call of the sky All right, so, okay, all right, okay. We came in at dusk and uh, two clicks to the the east and it should be right here. I, I, I... I don't understand. Like, did something happen? Is it, Does magic make cities disappear? There's a knock on the door and it pushes open really quick. If it's slam again. <laughs> <laughs> it's Jane. Uh, she goes, hey, I'm just checking to make sure. Uh, bringing an update. There is no city on the ground. Uh, just seeing if anybody needs any help or assistance of any kind. Hey, thanks, Jane. Really appreciate it. You're a valuable crew member and we hope you stick aboard. All right. We'll see you later. <laughs> i think i think like we see john like pushing the door closed um i'd like him to push the door closed and turn around who else is in the room with john right now i'll put this in your hands Great, it can cool. be anyone that you name honestly i think it's like it's gable the captain and <laughs> Uh no, I don't want I don't want him there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> You're about to say jerk off Jerry, huh? <laughs> no, I would. You can't prove that. Okay, you can't prove yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> you can't prove he's not in there somewhere. Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I mean it's a uh, no. Yeah, it's 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 the captain. It's the captain and Gable, mm-hmm. yeah. and and Spit also. So, okay, yeah. All right, so. I've never even heard of this place, okay? So how how do we know that we were even given a real spot to go to? Well, uh, I mean, according to the captain, he, he's been to Ungoni before. I ain't been with him when he was there. That was uh, one of his Tempest, back in his Tempest days, uh, when he was maintaining multiple ships. Okay, uh, all right, fine. Captain. Well, then, uh, 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 Captain... And and then he his frustration kind of like uh, immediately evaporates when the captain like turns to like give him like an ice cold stare. It's like, uh, uh-huh. yeah, <laughs> as 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 I was. And then he goes back to uh, the, the map. <laughs> um, well, it's got to be here. It's got to be here. Uh, I think Oromar. Can comes- I? Ooh. Can I do a roll to see if I? know anything about this city yeah because i'm that's... very old but also my knowledge has not been improved since i haven't leveled it up yet <laughs> so we'll see what knowledge would this be 
Um, I think adventuring is is probably the best. Boy, that's still bad, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, as you it? were saying, all of your knowledges are bad. Difficulty. Difficulty on this. Uh, I guess it depends. Are you trying to know specific information about Ungoni or are you trying to know generally about Generally about it. Okay. I like will the, put the big thing about it. <laughs> I'll put that as average. That's two or three? Or, or no, wait. The, if you want to know the big thing about it, that's a little specific. That's three. Mm. That's hard. Okay. Well, then, I don't know. I even try. <laughs> I do. <laughs> two failures. Two failures. Okay. So. I try to remember, then fall asleep. <laughs> I, I think two failures is you knowing something wrong. Uh, oh. So, Liz, we're in a situation where we know about this thing because you you actually got to read about it my pitch is that your information about ungoni is like a hundred years out of date oh because like yeah the big thing about it is something that is like post feather weave right so like there's a whole lot of stuff that you could know that's just wrong. <laughs> incorrect. Incorrect. Okay, so I know how this plays out. Well, Jonnet, you said that the coordinates are correct and you've doubled, triple checked them, correct? Yeah, I mean, I- I'm kind of at the end of a rope on this one. Well, as I recall, as we all know, I'm very well traveled, right? <laughs> Gable's looking for confirmation Jonathan immediately yes. buys into this and is <laughs> hanging on every single word <laughs> oh. As, in my recollection the last time i passed by ngoni there was a huge settlement full of massive trees and very uh colorful tents as as i recall and we should be able to see it on the ground if this is correct Got it. Jonnet, Jonnet like runs to the window, throws open the window, leans out the side to, I assume it's like, uh, let's just say uh, uh, Toku is kind of closest by. I like that on choice. The, <laughs> on, the, on the deck. And so he leans out and is like, trees and tents, trees and tents. And Toku to the rest of the, ca- uh, the crew, trees and tents, trees and tents, look for trees and tents. <laughs> and I think we we will cut out to Toku's view as like he's calling and then you see Pliff just down the way. Trees and tents, trees and tents. And like that makes its way around the ship to Travis, who is currently in the worst and most unpleasant lookout position that the Uhuru has to offer. You know, everybody draws straws for the worst jobs on the ship, and it's random and a fair system that everyone agrees to. Travis has just happened to get the worst job for the past several weeks now. Uh, Um where are you, Travis? What is the worst place to look out on the Uhuru? I'll answer your question with a question. What time of day is it? Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> let's make it just before sunset. I like you kind of... The ship has been at this all day, and you've probably heard people grousing about Travis not being there at his post. Well, maybe his post is so bad and out of the way so that people don't see him turn into an animal. Oh. Maybe he did it on purpose. (laughs) What 
if you have to be literally on top of the Uhuru because they're searching for something on the ground. So mm -hmm. the thing, like <laughs> something that they have on uh, the Audrin ships is like a tube system so that they're able to like communicate um, I, I like that. the it goes I, to the bathroom. Yeah, so so <laughs> you're in right. it. You're basically in the crow's nest on top of the balloon canopy of the Uhuru, and it is a cold place to be. So nobody likes to be there, especially because they're looking for something that's on the ground. So why would you even need someone to be there? It's just a shitty job to have. Johnny, I don't have uh, my Illimat set on me. Would you like to draw a card to see what season it is? Or do we want to keep it spring because we still haven't seen you be a cool snake yet? As we sent you to a place in spring so you could be a snake and then the story engineered it so that we never actually saw you oh, do that. Oh yeah, that's fun. <laughs> um, yeah, let's both just be a snake. Hmm, that's fun. So there is a call through this tube system, which I think on the Uhuru is not as sophisticated as only goes uh, to the bathroom. Th <laughs> oh well, the bath in. the bathroom is different for bathroom Barry. No expense was spared, <laughs> but for everyone else, um. So I, I think maybe there's like a rudimentary semaphore system of like flags that 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 are used to send a coded message to the this crow's nest area. So you get a message that says trees intense, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> well, who who sent that? Uh, that's a question to you, Johnny. Who is sending you messages? Who is like bullying Travis at this moment or attempting to bully Travis at this moment? I mean, well, the obvious choice would be Gable, but I don't think they're the ones sending. No, the they're not. Like, that's the thing. The dynamic has changed. You were supposed to be mistreated as long as you had bangs, but you don't have bangs because the transformation fixed that. And that pissed everyone off. There's supposed to be the, the, the that correctional system on the Uhuru is supposed to set an endpoint for bad behavior. But because you somehow managed to, people assume, use magic to cheat the system, people have just been treating you bad for a very long time. And haven't stopped. Um, what if it's no dose? Oh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like those calculated jabs. Mm hmm. It's very pointed. <laughs> oh, I'm just thinking about Snake Travis holding a little semaphore flag in his tail. <laughs> his tail. Oh. <laughs> oh, I love it very much. Oh, and that's the thing. Nodos doesn't know that Nodos thinks that part of what he's doing to you in this moment is that Travis is just bad at speaking through semaphores. <laughs> like because Travis takes a very long time to reply with semaphore messages, the assumption that most of the crew has made is, oh, he's it just takes him a long time to work this out. So what he thinks he's doing is by adding more to the message is he's being a jerk and making you have to translate slowly. A asshole, that was unnecessary. 
but you get the message right away and you have to send back like affirmatives that you understood what happened. So we got to see Snake Travis (laughs) operate a semaphore. What I feel like maybe there is some sort of he has devised some little pulleys or something (laughs) so that like no matter what animal he is, he's able to kind of like grab a thing in his mouth and just like raise a flag. (laughs) I like this a lot. I, I want to see this contraption pulley system. There there are a couple things that are essential while you're in the crow's nest, especially because right now you're a snake. It is hard to stay warm up here and you need to stay warm because currently you are a cold blooded creature. So every time you have to reply on the semaphores, it's kind of a harrowing situation. Is there maybe like a, um, you know how they have the, the hand warmers that are like, um, like uh, Zippo hand hand warmers, hot hands. Yeah. I feel like there's something like that up there, but maybe with like coal or something, just a little like hot pot. I think like a hot water bottle. I really like the idea of Travis having to coil himself around a hot water bottle. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. So cute. he he replies, you know, sort of pulling. How many flags? Well, make I, an I, athletics check for me. Oh, brother. <laughs> we'll use your normal athletic stat because I don't think it's one of your good ones. Uh, and we'll make this roll average. Oh, wow. You're right. This oh, is no. not one of my good ones. <laughs> that is two threats. Two threats. This is perfect. So I think what this involves, you know, we can see there are pulley systems that would work if you were a coyote or a rabbit. Like you just have to munch down on a piece of rope and use your body weight to pull them down. There are things that if you were a raven, like you could peck at and and start moving these things. But because you're a snake, you have to coil around like a central pole that you have set up in this crow's nest and slowly coil it up around a rope to very slowly pull that rope taut. And once that's done, you have to release your coil, pick up another rope and slowly coil around that until that rope is done. It's a semaphore rotary phone. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So much work. (laughs) <laughs> to install this machinery in the <laughs> I think what you did is like the message you send back is just K. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's just a lot like of a cut uh, cardboard cut out of a thumbs up. <laughs> and what what I think is to send that message, you actually have to coil yourself pretty high so you are up high which means you are in the the taut winds and i think like the bottom of the uhuru has poked through the clouds so that people can look around but i think right now the balloon canopy is above this section of clouds so it, it's colder than it would be i'm going to give you two strain to take from those threats but i would also like a perception check from you travis oh okay Let's see. Okay, James. That one's a little better. How how hard is this? I am going to make this average. This is, I think if people were looking, they would have seen this much sooner. And okay. you weren't looking because you were just trying to survive coiling yourself around a hot water bottle. Um. Yeah, that's a success and an advantage. 
Okay. Travis, what you see in the sky, not too far, like that it was previously covered by like a bit of cloud bank. And I want to say it's maybe like 500 feet above you right now. You see a gigantic hexagon just in the distance and floating around it are two smaller but still incredibly large hexagons beneath this hexagon like you're you're looking through snake eyes so it's really difficult to see this far out in the distance but you can see like kind of above this hexagon there are other platforms and whatnot i think in Travis's considerable time on Sphere, he has never seen anything like this before. You you have seen something incredible in the sky. And like, I think there's that double take moment that would normally be a blink, but like you're a snake. So you have to blink with like several different eyelids. With this information, what do you do? Do I see trees and tents? Fuck. Yeah, you do. You do. I mean, you you got pretty successful on that. So, like, yeah, you see trees and tents. I have neither the time nor the energy <laughs> to to semaphore that out. <laughs> so, I think I will leave my perch and find one of my compatriots to notify. That is good. I, I want to know what system does Travis use to get on top of the balloon as a snake? Part of me is picturing him having actually attached kind of a snake sleeve, sort of like the fish tube. Fish um, tube. Whoa. <laughs> that would go <laughs> directly <laughs> from the captain's yes. like room up to the, the balloon. Yeah, there's a fish Genopy. tube for sure. Has, has Travis spent this whole punishment like becoming a great inventor? <laughs> Just having all of his gizmos and gadgets all over the ship. Maybe oh. it's like he it's a talent that he always had, but, but who, he's never had to use time? it before. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, yeah, he's never had hands at night. Like when we're all like kind of like asleep, he's just left to tinker. Oh. And you you said it's just about sundown? Yeah, it's it's just about sundown. So you're racing against the clock, but this oh. is kind of important you news. You don't want to turn big in the snake tube. <laughs> <laughs> gotta have a bad, gotta have a bad time in the snake tube. You never go big in the snake tube. <laughs> <laughs> That's my secret. I'm always big in the snake tube. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to need a bigger snake tube. (laughs) Hey, heroes, it's James, your game master, and welcome to the mid-roll. Heroes, technically our fundraiser with World Builders has wrapped up. However, friend of the show and guest for our episode today, Patrick Rothfuss has agreed to keep our fundraising window open a little bit longer to see if we can hit 20,000. As of this recording, we're just about 1,400 away. And if we can hit the 20,000 mark, Pat will bring his character from today's episode over to Skyjack's Courier's Call. 
Pat's character is going to be with us for the next couple of weeks, and trust me, you are going to want to know more about him. And you absolutely want to see him interact with the Courier's Call crew. To help us make that happen, all you have to do is head over to bit.ly slash osnends2020. That's bit.ly slash osnends2020. That is our fundraising page for the World Builders End of Year Drive supporting Heifer International. There are a lot of great reasons to support that charity that I've talked about in previous weeks. I do want to point out that you did help us hit other stretch goals. Thanks to you hitting the 15,000 mark, there is a new Skyjack short story over on the OneShot website. It's based on the characters from Arnie Parrott's Skyjack's theme, and it includes some juicy bits of lore. And if you're not a reader, don't worry, because you passed 18,500, I'll be recording it soon to release on the Skyjack's feed as a bit of audio fiction. So one last time, I want to encourage you to head over to bit.ly slash osnends2020 and contribute to our page. And I want to offer a huge thanks to everyone who's contributed already. I am so excited about all the things you unlocked and honestly, all the good that this money is going to do. Heroes, I recently released a new book, The Ultimate Micro RPG Book. It's a collection of 40 micro role-playing games, each being about two pages. And it features work by some of the most talented designers working in the field today. Each game is gorgeous, perforated to easily tear out of the book, and so much fun to play. If you've got someone in your life that you're trying to get into role-playing games or is into role-playing games and you don't know what to get them, the Ultimate Micro RPG book is exactly what you're looking for. You can pick it up by heading over to bit.ly slash ultimate micro RPG, but it's also available wherever books are sold at all big box bookstores or your favorite local indie brick and mortar. And if you do happen to have a copy of the book, I'd appreciate it if you'd head over to Amazon and give it a review. My publisher considers it a big success if I get 30 reviews on my book, so I am trying to push us to get to 50 within the first month. I'm super invested in this for a couple reasons, but one of them is this is one of the first role-playing games published by a mainstream publisher. And if they think this is a success, they will do more books like it. So once again, pick up a copy at bit.ly slash ultimate micro RPG, or if you already have a copy, please leave us a review. Before we get back to the show, I want to give a huge thank you to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Folks, there is no way we could have pulled this episode off without your support. One of the things your Patreon dollars do is allow me to go to conventions in normal times when conventions happen, and it was at Gen Con that I met Pat for the first time. So we would not be recording together without your support. And because we finally have our Patrick Rothfuss episodes up and ready to be listened to, we'll be able to release the session zero that Pat did with us, where we add detail to the city of Ungoni, created by freelancer Anansi Tempest. It's some really cool insight into how everybody's ideas came together to create the story that we're about to tell you in this arc. So if you like what you hear, please head over to patreon.com slash one shot podcast and sign up to give us your support. Thanks to everybody who signed up already and everyone who will sign up in the future. Now, with all of that out of the way, let's get back in the sky. I would like us to cut down to the, the captain's quarters around the Star Watcher table where I think 
we've hit a point where there has to be some kind of an emotional outburst. Like somebody is lashing out at, at somebody else because this is a high stress situation. Here's what I think has has happened. The captain has now approached the star watching table and loomed down over it, placed his hands around it and made a big show of going through Jonnet's math line by line. He's gone through this and for a while, Tyler, I, I think I think the intimidation of the captain has worn off a little bit and you've like got caught up in the stress. So the captain has like gone through this math very slowly and carefully and then looked up at Jonnet and winked. Mm. But what does that mean? What do you mean when you wink? It's an implied meaning and it's, it's, it's subjective. And, uh, uh, well, I mean, the, the captain's been here before, and you, you're being trained up as Star well, you Watcher, tell, so... You tell me what he means by that wink, Spit. Well, I, I think he's having you go through this because you gotta learn the lesson of how to do what it. What lesson? What am I trying to learn right now? I've done all the steps, and th- th- there is a body of land that is not on land. I, I think like we've gotten to the point where Jonnet is like grabbed the captain's lapels and is now like shouting in <laughs> his face. What do you mean when you wink? <laughs> Gable, Gable puts their hands on Jonnet's shoulders slowly, it's, pulls it's him just, away. Like, he just expects everyone fine. to know. It's, it's context based. But, Often we are supposed to read our own meaning into it. It's fine. It's not a it's painting. Okay. It's a face, not it's, a painting. It's a fa- face. Every painting, every painting, a story. I understand. How about we take a breath and get a tea? I want to take our time. It's. Fine. I need a jasmine we're, we're, tea. Okay, we'll get you a jasmine tea. No, I, I want honey. Okay, well, you so so much honey. It's oh, oh, you won't believe it. Okay, do you want do you want just honey? Is that you want a sweet treat? Oh, you called. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> and, and then a snake shoots through, <laughs> like shoots, shoots out of the snake tube right onto the tea set area. Like that has to be where the snake tube empties out. There's no other option. <laughs> No, I wanted to like hit the wall and accordion <laughs> like Sir Hiss. <laughs> Just like sploosh. <laughs> Can you answer a question for me? Why why do Sir Hiss and um Ka both do mind control? Um Is I, that a well, snake thing? Snake hypnosis, I think, is like a, a thing. Um I, I think there was a widely believed uh story for a while that snakes could hypnotize their prey before they struck. Whoa. Do it. Pat appears to know something. Do it. I I, I didn't necessarily because I'm I'm not officially in the show yet, but I love the audience learning that you're here this for- week. <laughs> And only for snake facts. Oh, yes. Uh, our our snake researcher snake in the facts. corner. Um, this, this is Kyle. He knows all about snakes. He sits in all of our rooms. <laughs> He's been here for years. He's been here. I think because it's an Indian thing, there are uh, there were fakirs who would do like different sorts of magic 
uh, or what was sort of presented as, as a mystical thing. And some of it was like climbing the rope and disappearing or dismembering mm. themselves. And one of the things I think they would do was hypnotize or, or handle snakes as a part of their thing. And I'm probably, I'm doing a really bad job remembering it because it's been like 25 years since I took my Eastern religion class, but the fake ears were sort of mystical and they would, they, that was attached to snakes in Indian culture, I think. Huh. That's cool. Well, Johnny, I'm glad that we learned that about snakes. Yeah, Travis can do that too, <laughs> which is why I asked. I was like, why can he do this? It's so weird like that he does this and I have no idea why. Um. <laughs> Wait, so you shot out into the same place where Spit and the captain are? Well, funny you ask, because I believe it is just about time for the sun to come up. To come down. Mm. So I think... I shoot in as a snake, deliver my quip, and stand up as a man. <laughs> Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No. Uh, <laughs> I like this because that means you're doing record time on your transformation. <laughs> But I, which has got to be like a bright spot for Jonnet. I mean, it's got yes, true. But I feel like there has to be at least like four seconds of total agony, yelling, screaming, pain, and then you just pop up. <laughs> <laughs> that okay, okay. The, th this is it. It's I don't think it's like four seconds. It's got to be like thirty seconds of <laughs> like. But like Travis's normal transformation is two minutes, so that's pretty good. Yeah, um, and maybe he just stands up with like a sticking the landing gymnastic style, <laughs> yeah. or you know, he's like there's this like thump flop, ah, ah, crackle crackle goop goop goop. Ah, Thirty seconds later, ta da! I what I think is this has happened frequently enough that. Gable and Jonnet just start screaming out of nowhere to there's cover a, it up. More, there's more, a. More. Ah, ah. I think that at a certain point in the snake tube, there's something that rings a little bell in the captain's quarters. <laughs> so, so okay. you know when he's coming. <laughs> we have so a delivery. To start yelling. <laughs> so yeah, so you're like, oh, you want tea? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> what kind of tea? I'll go get it for you. Wait a second. Uh, <laughs> uh, so yeah, so like the John probably just like loses everything, just focuses on Travis. He John is like actually like silently timing him, and then you come up, stick the landing. He's like, Travis, that was amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Also, we don't know where we are, and I need to get behind you. And he kind of like moves Travis out the way to get to the tea. <laughs> <laughs> well it's funny it's funny that you mentioned that because i happen to know where we are or at least i happen to know what's near us what what do you mean you've been you've been up in the crow's nest all right you can't even see the ground what are you talking about well i don't i don't need to see the ground i can taste it with my tongue and also i didn't <laughs> see the ground at all i saw well i saw uh now i know eight sides is an octagon and five is a pentagon What's the one with six? A, 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 a hexagon? One? Yes, I saw one of those. I but also it knew that. <laughs> well, you you should have spoken up. <laughs> I also knew. That. It's, it's it's a hexagon. What mm -hmm. do you? Yes, that is that is what I saw. I saw a giant hexagon and it was floating. Wait, what? Uh, it was uh, like six sides. A hexagon. No, like was 
Was there stuff on it? Well, five is a pentagon, and then it had one more, so it was a hexagon. What don't you understand about no, no, no. this? What was? What did you see? What was on? Was it just a flat hexagon floating in the air? Well, yes, a hexagon is a two-dimensional figure. If it had more sides, it would have been, I don't know, a dodecahedron or something. <laughs> Gable's looking out the window. <laughs> From your vantage point right now, if you were to look up, like the Uhuru is kind of like halfway stuck through a cloud at this point. They're, the Uhuru is trying not to be seen from the ground, but see as much of the ground as possible, or at least not be obvious from the ground. It's a defensive type of flight because you're in an unfamiliar region and like you don't want to run into red feathers or anyone right now. It might also be a thing that you do to gather water being inside a cloud you're just like yeah we just gotta fill up our water barrels and we're also looking we've been here for a couple days and we didn't expect not to be near a place right now so i don't Um, see anything so you will need to have the ship go above the clouds so that people can't see the ground in order to see the thing that travis is talking about so, Travis, what did you see something above us or below us? Uh, was it above us or was it just kind of like level above, above us? like okay, 500 above. feet above at least? It was a- above us. Uh, we gotta go up. <laughs> Jonnet runs back to the window. Oh, wait, no, because he's got to talk to the people in like the boiler room. Uh, I guess he runs well, think- to the door and opens it yeah, up. Like- <laughs> And if you, if you go to the top deck, like you can give that command, you can give that command either to the person at the helm who might be like, it, it's not Gable right now, who's the normal helms person. And it's not it's the captain. Slam, he earned it. That's true. Oh. He did. He flew very bravely. <laughs> well, then Jonnet runs out the door and he's going up to the to the deck. Yeah, so like you you go up to the deck and you can see like there is a lot of activity around the deck. So much of the crew is looking out in all directions around the ship. There's a lot of idle time on pirate ships because you have so much crew. But having flown around in this area for days and this area being over a desert, like there are so many people who are just like, I will contribute in any way I can to make this end so i can just go to a port and get some booze like (laughs) please all right so yeah jonnet is is dodging is like weaving back and forth between all these people that like we've led on the ship through the the many different interviews that we've never seen and the unnamed characters and and (laughs) and then he he gets to the helm slam slam we've got to go up Wait, what do you mean? I I was supposed to fly in a cloud. No, 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 no. And then he kind of like he opens opens himself up to everyone else and like just kind of yells like, "We need to look up." Everybody kind of stops and focuses on Jonnet uh, for a second, and I think there is a beat of Jonnet is now exuding that kind of command, that flash of command that that he tends to from situation to situation. In most circumstances, especially a younger member of the crew, shouting a command, people would overlook it. But because it's coming from Jonnet, he taps into that bit of gravitas that makes people stop and listen. There's, there's a beat of like almost silence and Sam's like, 
all right, take us up. <laughs> take us up. We're going up. <laughs> and then uh, and, and they kind of le- le- say, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Slam tries to wink, but his face muscles are so powerful. I think he wink. He closes both eyes. Oh, like he just doesn't have the facial flexibility to close one eye. Um, John, John is like, "Gotcha, man!" And then he he's going back down to the captain's quarters, and it, under his breath, he says, "I have had it up to here with winking." And like, there is a quick flash cut of like shovels shoveling coal into the furnace, flames rising higher, and the red pattern spreading out like blood over the canopy of the Uhuru's envelope as the Uhuru breaks through the cloud to rise up and we can see this shot of the Uhuru beneath the floating city of Ungoni in the sky above them. And I think we can do a quick smash cut to a waiting room. You are now on Ungoni. The Uhuru has docked with Ungoni. We can see that later because I imagine that's going to be an interesting of like, how do you dock a skyship on a floating city and things like that? But I think the captain's council and the captain are in a waiting room. that I would like you to describe because you're on Ungoni and you are in a place that is for visitors. Ungoni has agreed to act as a neutral place to the Tempest Armada, who are their allies, to make this exchange of their gold for your feather weave. And you are currently waiting for the arrival of the Bandit Queen. Does it make sense for this to be on one of the satellite platforms mm. instead Ooh, of on the main platform? Yeah. Like kind of b- because there's only so many people on the main platform that are very careful about who comes on, who comes off. That's It makes sense if Ungoni was adding a dock for it to be on the satellite anyway. Yeah. I feel like if like for whatever reason things like get go south real bad, then they would just like sever the connection to this. Yeah. yeah and then it would just like fall. Oh, that's. Cool. I like that. So please describe this reception hall for me. I, I just want to know what it looks like and what you look like in this space. Is it for specifically the Bandit Queen or is this like a reception hall for like, hey, if you're anyone coming into Ngoni, that you will walk through this space? Yeah, that, that's what I what okay. I think it is. This is where Ungoni receives its guests. And before anybody would be able to like make it onto the main platform or whatnot, like you were received and met in this hall by like the leadership of Ungoni. And Ungoni is like agreeing that, like, yeah, this is where ships from the Tempest Armada and the Uhuru will be able to meet. And, you know, we want to have this initial meeting first before we welcome anyone onto the main platform to buy our wares and whatnot. I feel like the structure that we're in might have like 
a stained glass dome. And then, then like in a circle on a couple different tiers, you have stills from the various dances that are like are found in Ngoni. And so it's like you follow it around, you get maybe like one full dance move in this dome as it like, so you can still kind of see above you and it's like grandiose. Yeah, I love the idea of just like this colored glass dome above you because the the sun has got to shine down through that like pretty intensely and like create a beautiful display on the floor. I think all of the furniture is made of like various metals or just found flotsam and jetsam. Like nothing is made of wood. There is no carpentry because wood is so precious. Mm. And the the things that they grow, so everything is like carrying a chair from one place to another is probably a little bit heavy because it's just like some scrap metal that they found. Mm, uh, cool. That's cool. I like that. Um, I think that there is sort of a, you know, there's like kind of the general seating area, and then I think there is like a raised platform, almost like a a, um, a judge's stand, and like then the the witness. I don't know what court stuff is called, but you know where the judge <laughs> no, and all those other guys are. Yeah, yeah. they're their little booth or whatever. Okay, so yeah. there's like kind of a raised elevated platform. Uh, but I, I don't I think it's all sort of one level. So it could it's not like an interrogation thing, but I think it's just where people could either preside over everyone who is in there or sort of be level together. Dope. That's cool. Uh, oh, we've got a fact? snake fact. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Since since they've got sort of a, they're careful about who comes in. Is this a little bit of a Staten Island situation? Like, mm. yeah, yeah, like I this think this is so. where you're interviewed. It's like, hey, here are the rules. Hey, do you actually have a reason to be here? Are we going to let you in? Here are your papers. Please remember that we can throw you out literally at any time. Because it seems like they're they're really kind of keeping their borders careful. Yeah. I like that. And I think it is obvious that the Uhuru crew has been waiting in this room or the Uhuru captain's council has been waiting in this room longer than they intended and to the point where they're getting antsy. There is probably tea that was served or, you know, biscuits or something to accompany it, like a nice, like, sort of welcoming thing. I'm trying to imagine, like, desert foods. Maybe there's, like, some fried cactus or something uh, (laughs) that was, like, picked at initially and then completely eaten. The tea has been drunk through. I just want to know, like... An hour past the longest time you expected to be waiting, what does the captain's council look like? Jonnet is definitely going through the different stills of the dances, and he's just trying to like take that stance and then take the next stance, and he's just like kind of going through. He's just truly letting his mind wander. I think Gable struggled for a while to get comfortable on one of the chairs, but they're all made in such a way that it's either too small or too hard. And no matter how they sat, they could never get comfortable. So right now they've ended up sitting on the floor back against a column and playing a little game where like they're throwing bits of fried cactus into a cup. (laughs) (laughs) I think Travis is sort of, sitting sideways on a chair you know like 
not leaning into the back, but legs over one arm, kind of back over the other, playing with a deck of cards. And I think maybe he keeps doing like half jokey readings for Gable and Jonnet. <laughs> oh, that's good. I like that very, very much. <laughs> I want to know what's the what's the reading that he most recently did. All right, all right, Travis, do me. What what you got? He's um, just going to be mean to you again. They've all been mean. <laughs> Stop asking. He's going to be mean again. Luminaries are mean. So there's there's got to be a like a question that Jonet asks or something. Um, like Travis, actually, Travis, I'll let you lead this. How is? How is Travis presiding over these readings? Okay, Jonnet. Let's see. Do you want to know? Do you want to know how many kids you're going to have? I think he's just playing Mash. He's just playing Mash with <laughs> the Illumat card. <laughs> uh, so I won't ask. I'll just do a drawing and I'll say like, okay, for the first card is going to say uh, what kind of job you'll have. Okay, the first card uh, that you pull is the Forest Queen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just doing. So the first card that you pull. How many cards do you want to pull for this? Um, so let's do three. Okay. The second card is going to be the newborn, and the final card. Wow, all low rolls. Interesting. The final card is going to be the changeling. Holy shit! (laughs) Very Travis-centric rolls there. I I love the thought that he's done eight of these rolls, and it's always the forest queen and the changeling, (laughs) but he keeps interpreting them. Uh, so first off, uh, what kind of job you're going to have? It looks like you've got the forest queen, so you'll be maybe a CEO. CEO. That's just how the cards work. I I don't do it. Is she the CEO of the forest? <laughs> sure. Huh. <laughs> Who's the CCO of the forest? Who's the CFO well, of the forest? She, she, she does she it all. She's forest officer of the forest. <laughs> and then, uh, okay, the next one is how many kids you're going to have. Uh-huh. And that's the newborn. So it looks like one. Oh. So that's fun. Does, but he wouldn't have any other, any of the other cards would mean he would have zero children. Is there a well, new? Well, no, they're new... just uninterpreted. Look, if you don't want me to do this, we too don't. bad. I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> <laughs> so you better just deal with it. I, all right, well then, keep going. I guess. Okay, and finally, what kind of house you're going to live in? And that's the changeling. Uh, so I guess you're just going to be trapped with a bunch of people you hate forever. I'm so sorry. Oh. And as you say that, there is the sound of muffled voices on the other side of, like, the door. To me, it is important that these dwellings or or whatever structures are on these platforms be very wind resistant and like have a good way to shut wind out so i think there are sort of the way we do in chicago there are like kind of these loose receiving canopies where you open the door and you're in a little chamber before you open the door to the building that you enter into so like you can hear muffled voices and Upon hearing muffled voices, Travis will feel a pang from the captain. I think the captain is seated next to Travis, and 
as you all have like become familiar with the fact that there is something more inside the captain, the captain is more inside himself now than he has ever been. And you have been able to watch over these last few weeks as that has developed and become sharper and sharper to the point where it's really starting to take a lot out of Travis and Travis has become acutely aware of when the captain is acting upon his own body. And I think there are these periods where everyone can tell just by looking where the captain has fully relaxed the reins on his body and sits in these neutral positions where he is dead still. So I think the captain came to the chair, sat down, and has like both of his fists on the table in front of him with his eyes like staring forward, completely immobile in like a very weird and unnatural position. And like at the voices in the other door, I think, Travis, you will take a strain as the captain is pulling some life force from you to maneuver himself into a more neutral sitting <laughs> position. Um but with that, you also feel a shade of the captain's emotions. And I think you can feel like a pang of excited anxiety, of feeling excited for seeing someone that you are very happy and anxious to see. So like you get a pang of that as these voices come into this room and they say, I must apologize as we are currently entertaining other honored guests. And the door opens and you can see the person who I think all of you have in some way, shape or form come to think of as your mortal enemy for the day. And that is the relentlessly cheerful receiving agent who acts on behalf of Ungoni. They put you in this room. They come in maybe every 30 minutes or so <laughs> and apologize profusely about continued delays for Sifa the bandit queen coming to see you. And they take your order for things, but like the time between the orders being brought out and like the portion sizes and different things is like only caused you more consternation. And it's almost impossible to be angry with them. So they've come in the room. We'll learn more about them in a second. I'm more interested in the person that they opened the door for because immediately behind them is a person that I would like Pat to describe. Pat, could you please tell us about your character? I picture in terms of the outfit about like halfway between Victorian gentleman, like a bit of a dandy and the classic red-coated Captain Hook sort of flamboyance. So, except uh, his color is a, a very dark purple, like almost black until it catches the light, but it's a very like midnight purple, but more of a, almost like half of a captain's coat, half of a Victorian long coat, a little ruffle on the chest, and a long, you know, like a walking stick is the length of a cane where it almost kind of comes up to his chest, but it is a walking stick and he, he walks with it, but it's obviously he's not leaning on it. This is just sort of an affectation, a little 
taller than usual, a little plumper than usual, a bit of a beard, and a sort of a, a round face underneath that. Maybe if I were to say, I, I wouldn't want to say Santa Claus, but Santa Claus is in the same room a little bit as this sort of person's demeanor. He's a little, a little plump. He's not like as straight as a rod, thin, vic- like severe Victorian looking guy. Mm-hmm. Body shape is a little, is a little Santa Claus. So if we were to put him in the Tim Allen's The Santa Claus transition matrix and look at that spectrum, he's not fully Santa shifted. He's a little bit more towards Tim Allen, a mortal man. Adjacent. He's Santa adjacent. I hate that you've trapped me between Santa Claus and And Tim Tim Allen, (laughs) which is is not what I signed up for. Which is a spectrum that is about as wide as humanly imaginable, (laughs) really. Um, So yeah, a cheerful face, sort of a, a, a cocky body posture. And a, a little, a little duded up. It, like these clothes look a little too nice to be working clothes. We see this character has entered the room, and you can clearly see Pat that there is this other group of people here. I don't know if you recognize anybody that you may have seen before. So I, I will, I will leave that uh, to the the two people who might know each other to decide. Is the attendant still in the room? Yes. I have decided his name is Kicheko. Kicheko is this person with dark skin and like a big, bright grin. His cheeks always seem to catch the light in the room. He is always all smiles and like just he's very magnanimous with with everybody. He is dressed finely and colorfully. I, I think there is kind of a drabness to the structures and decorations of the room that is juxtaposed with the light that comes through the domed ceiling. But like that color and and that embrace of, of bright color is definitely reflected in the attire of this receiving agent and kind of how he has been decorated to represent the people of Ungoni. Oh, Kicheko, thank you so much for... Uh seeing uh, another guest in here for us to spend our eternity with, I suppose. You are very welcome, honored guest. I've got news, by the way. Uh, Sifa has sent word ahead, and she's told us that she is going to be delayed another hour. So she's going to be out soon, just not before another full hour of waiting in this room. Uh, Kicheko. How do the messages keep getting here faster than she's getting here? I could see how that might be a question you'd have in this situation. It is one that I can't answer. But well done on that question. I'm <laughs> Travis, I can't. Travis, I, w- I won't and I can't. I will leave. I can't do it. I won't and I can't. I can't won't do can't it. What? Where, where I- do you have to be? <laughs> <laughs> Someplace where I'm not mad. Well, uh, Kicheko, um, uh, hey, uh, just, uh, I, you know, get it? Things happen. It's just that we are, we are all, we've been here for, uh, we are, checks, checks his watch. It's about three hours now and, uh, kind of burned through the, the great 
the great appetizers, the great little bites and, and all the tea. If maybe we could get like a, another, another round of those, uh, or anything. Actually, I'll, I'll turn to him and I'll say, Kicheko, thank you so much for bringing me here. Is there anything I could do to help to get my new friends here? Anything that they want? It seems like they, they've had maybe a rough day. Anything I could, I could do? Jack, you know we are always happy to receive you. You have proven yourself to be a friend to the people of Ungoni time and time again. Now, these folks are from the crew of the Uhuru, one of the most notorious pirate ships, one of the most notorious Corsair ships in the sky. And while the captain of this crew is known to the people of Ungoni, he had a bit of a falling out with the bandit queen not too long ago, and and you know uh, she has been an even better friend to the people of Ungoni uh, more times after more times, and currently these folks are here at her authority. Uh, oh. I like them. They're nice people, handsome people. But my hands are tied by Ungoni traditions. New people have to be vouched for by folks who have been here before. And Sifa has vouched for them enough to say that they can land at our port. But that's about it right now. And as much as I would love to let these people into our marvelous floating city, tradition must be considered. But the people of Ungoni have very generously offered to provide refreshments on the house while they wait for their sponsor to return, uh, with the exception, of course, of the fried cactus poppers and the cactus blossom water, which we consider a premium water, though only one of them has ordered that. I see. Now, just between me, was he sort of bringing me here to the waiting room as well while I kind of cool my heels a bit, or... Was he like, oh, let's go somewhere. I quick have to stop and tell some people off first. <laughs> I think I think w maybe that's it. Maybe he is like, uh, maybe when you land a ship on the receiving platform, like you kind of have to go through this hall anyway before, like g going to the main city. Like there has to be formal transportation between the satellites into the main city. And because there are no skyship platforms on the main hex, like everybody kind of has to pass through this receiving chamber in one way or another as they are being received into the city, unless they're like on Griffin back or something. So I'm just going to chill here for a little bit until the official word comes through. Maybe you have a meeting. I like the idea of Jolly Jack has a specific meeting for like a negotiation or, or, or something that he, he's, he's waiting here too. So I'll say, I understand, of course, you're, I would not have your job for the world. Um, while I am, Waiting here, would you mind bringing perhaps some wine? I would love a red, red, white. Calling out to I the rest to of the room. The the Uhura crew. Uh, maybe oh. a red and a white. That would be lovely. Um, I'll have a rosé. I'll have a blend. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have a Sauvignon Blanc, please. Give <laughs> 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 looks down and shot it. What? Okay. What? Could, could you it? do those and uh, just just put those on my tab? And again, at your earliest convenience, I know that you have a very busy night ahead of you. And if you've ever seen someone tip graciously, 
as opposed to like, now I'm going to awkwardly try to semi-bribe you. It's just sort of like, hey, you're my friend. I really appreciate this favor you're doing for me and going out of your way. And I just, I just shake his hand and I say, thank you so much. It's like, you're doing me a favor by taking this little bit of money off my hand. Kicheko is somebody who works in hospitality in, in certain ways. You know, he's a diplomat, but he is also somebody who has to look after people who are guests of the city. And, you know, the city is dealing with a lot of outlaws. These are people who could be aggressive and demanding, and he has to not cause conflict between these people in the city, but also, generally speaking, like deliver disappointing news time after time. So he is someone who has mastered the art of false cheerfulness and like kind of uh, false affability. But there is a palpable difference between somebody who genuinely likes someone else and somebody who is extremely good at pretending and being the face of an organization that likes someone else. And that transition happens coolly and easily in that moment uh, as as easily as, as flicking a finger. Uh, Kicheko takes the tip smiles warmly for jolly jack kicheko and ungoni will do anything he smiles and exits the room with a graceful turn and you are now alone in a room in in an impressive like reception hall with jolly jack i think as soon as the door like clicks shut travis draws his gun <laughs> Whoa! Yes! yes. <laughs> oh, this rules. We once again return to the long line of prospective applicants for the Skyship Uhuru. You're so cool, Travis. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm a, I am a huge, huge fan. Okay. I, so the truth comes out. Well, that's, that's already boy. one vote for me. Travis fanboy here. All right. If that's the I'm situation, gonna, how I mean, about you two good I on your own the ship? The fanboy situation was obvious from jump. That was the oh. first behavior. Gable, have you been paying attention? No, I'm sad and someone was mean to me. <laughs> no, Gable, I'm so sorry. I, I really, no, I, I'm a huge fan of all of you guys, really. Also, I have a robotic penis. I hope that's okay. Oh, now I'll this, allow it. this is a very welcome turn of events. Okay, you should be very welcome. I have a, I have a question. What's a robot? What's a robot? Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's a it's a clockwork golem. <laughs> yes, a clockwork golem. Uh, and let me tell you, it's uh, it works like clockwork. If you know what I'm saying, every morning I. Can't turn the damn thing off. <laughs> I think this is the best applicant that we've ever had for the ship. <laughs> wow, and you guys had a Guy Fieri uh, look like. <laughs> what, what are the who? What are the implications of this happening? And I think it would be interesting because then you could also meet sort of Jane and Pliff, and that's kind of a fun, interesting thing. I think as far as like 
theoretically, I would love to see it, but also logistically, I don't want to make anyone's life harder, you know? Mm. Yeah, that's fair. Well, you guys have that second ship. Uh, maybe I could slot in there, kind of yeah. do like a, a full spinoff, you know? We do Someone's love that. Maybe we could have like a backdoor pilot where you get a farm and maybe... <laughs> Yeah, and then it uh, doesn't quite go well. Because that, that is, there is a Decemberist influence there as well. And I, I'm sure Thomas Middleditch is free. Now, uh, there's also probably. the potential of just, uh, you know, accepting this application, but aging them down a little bit. We could get maybe a sort of a young tech wizard's adventure. Oh, yeah. Which, oh, maybe that's yeah. still on the air, actually. Did you know yeah. they've, that show's been on for four years? And they're still making it? What? <laughs> that, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. He show? just did follow. Yeah, young, uh, he just read a bunch of clues on Jeopardy the other day. The, the young, young Jesus. fella. Jesus. Yeah. He's, you know, it's going to get to the point where he's just regular Sheldon. <laughs> I mean, I, I always have. I mean, it would be really cool if I were the youngest on the crew and could kind of steal that from John. It just be like, hey, uh, you think you're inexperienced? Well, look at me. You know, that would be. Hey, uh, hey, hey! Fast, my shortcomings you know? are mine. You, you, you'd be the worst on some other other ship. <laughs> See, okay, I no, thought no, we were that, talking that, about a, a baby Yoda situation where he is so oh, young. Oh, <laughs> so now that. Hang on, now I might that, be back around on that. Ooh. And yeah. also doesn't speak. Does not so speak, but also is there. You could, because I feel like if he <laughs> doesn't speak, he could reasonably, and by he, I mean me, baby me, could reasonably worked into the canon uh, <laughs> without needing a guest appearance every time. I don't know. <laughs> is that crazy? Maybe. I think, I, you know, this sounds pretty good. I'm in favor of casting a spell to trap this person in a younger form of their body, forcing them to relive a part of their childhood. That would be great. I would love that, honestly. Oh, you are that much of a fan that you would reverse your age to then grow up again just to be around us? Janet Kessler changing my diaper? Um, yes, please. <laughs> like, well, Janet, they know what they, I do want to. Johnny knows what Johnny. I'm talking about back there. He's clapping. Yeah. <laughs> Dipe life. <laughs> Janet would not be able to change your diaper because, uh, as far as I know, the magic will just de-age your flesh body, meaning you would be a baby with a full-size adult robotic penis. Oh. Uh, <laughs> So well, I, maybe I, I kind of shit my pants plenty as an adult. Is that a problem? <laughs> maybe it would be sort of the sort of thing where you you would exist as a baby, but you would only ever see us f- sort of from the knees down, and that's all that folks would see. Ooh, we, oh, about your yeah. adventures, and we mm-hmm. we would uh, we would sound like trumpets to you. Mm. Yeah, yeah, because uh, the editor would do an effect so that only the baby version could be heard. Okay, I like it. I like it. Yeah, yeah, that could be done. That could be done. That was great. That was really well done. (laughs) It's kind of interesting because once you make the Muppet Babies a cartoon, they're sort of legally not Muppets anymore. Uh, Very technically, yes. Uh, Deciding philosophically, what defines a Muppet? Is it the character or the construction of the thing? You know, that's something for the philosophers to answer. I'm sorry. Uh, This is kind of a crazy fan moment because this is just the kind of 
pre-show cold open uh, <laughs> content that I always wanted to be present for. Uh, this is like really a big deal for me. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, if you could just talk about that for two more minutes, I'll try to cut it into something that could fit before the episode. Uh, that great. <laughs> I, and this is fun because it's like, it's multiple levels because of who you are and who you really are. Yes. You know? Yeah, absolutely. It's... Uh, to the point where like you stop caring as much about the meta shit because who even knows what's happening? <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah. And is it will, will it be usable? Yeah, who, who knows? Probably, maybe, probably not. Hey, anything's well, usable uh, if you use it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, one, of the best, <laughs> one of the best parts of that particular conundrum is after we finish speaking here, it's not our problem to make it usable. <laughs> That's someone else down the line. Yeah, I am looking at the uh, timestamp here at 33 minutes or whatever, and I'm like, who? Uh, Okay. Uh. <laughs> could we just have? When, could could this be a whole? What if we have like a three minute episode and then like a forty five minute near a Hulu? I was gonna that. pitch. What if we had a multi part near a Hulu spread across two episodes? Oh, where now that's like kind fun. Of a cliffhanger. I think you're asking yeah. a lot of people. I mean, <laughs> you, that requires well, us to have thought of that and built a cliffhanger in ten minutes ago. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure the editor could do something with music on uh, uh, make it work. <laughs> yeah. What if it what if it's like, oh, um, is he going to say I'm a different bird? Find out next time. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and that just, just for the record, that is another one that someone does have to add to the supercut. Oh, that you just said that right now. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I we, say we I'm a different do... bird, does that count or is it just you? I guess it's up to whoever makes the supercut. Yes. Yeah, okay. They cool. Again, I think somebody has already made a supercut, and maybe the editor just needs to go to that person and take their stuff. Just, just talk to them about it. Yeah. And add yeah. the new one in. Uh, or just don't talk. Just steal it. Claim it as my own. Okay. That was a that was a dumb joke. I'm gonna cut that one. <laughs> I don't want the person to think I'm actually gonna steal that thing. Dude, that's, uh, that's, that's a little bit unfair. It's a little bit unfair because I say super shit all the time, and that has to stay in. That's not fair. Uh, uh, hey, I, look, I've cut uh, my fair share of stupid shit. Uh, <laughs> thank you, and that's why we love you very much. Uh, thank you. <laughs> What's the stupidest thing you've cut from each of us? <laughs> Uh, I would the the stupidest like the specific stupidest thing would be really I would say there will be periods where now this is a thing that happens in shows so no judgment there'll be periods where there's probably like six minutes of ruled debates and then somebody mm. realizes they rolled the wrong dice or something <laughs> like that and then they they're well, just like oh okay never mind and I'll like I know that, that sounds like less of a skyjacks problem and more of a neo scum problem uh, as nobody but one person actually knows what the rules are Mm-mm. Are you saying that's, that, that that is not a Skyjacks thing? Because uh, I would say your, your <laughs> really editor would beg to differ. So maybe there's rose-colored glasses when you uh, hear the finals. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, 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 in yeah. advantage is the one with the skull? Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> Things changed since the app. The app. That's a fair, it's a fair, helps. fair pointed criticism. Love it, love it. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. Uh, let's let's get a bit of a thought experiment. We mentioned that one 
member of of our crew died recently. If you had oh. to choose someone from your own crew to die, uh, who would it be? Someone from my own crew to die. Yeah, one of them has to die. Gun to everyone's head. I guess the game master, so we can just do whatever we want. Mm, that's, really. smart. Oh, that's smart. Mm. Yeah. That's really uh, smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that comes back to the killing God thing. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I have the job. Is that? Uh... I think we I'm can turn you into a baby. I, yeah. Okay. I guess cool. if we can get you to that baby position, then yeah, you're in. Alakazam. <laughs> oh no! Oh no! <laughs> That was such a fast spell. Uh, just fade out on those noises. <laughs> Johnny changed my diaper. Johnny changed my diaper. <laughs> me? Who, me? Get this, get this baby away, man. Me. Campaign Skyjacks is a one-shot network production. For more information, be sure to follow us on Twitter at at CampaignPod for updates about live shows and other events we might be doing. You can find more great gaming shows over at OneShotPodcast.com. Jonnet Kessler was played by Tyler Davis, who can be found on Twitter and Instagram at Tyler A. Dave. Gable was played by Liz Anderson, who can be found on Twitter at Liz Anderson underscore underscore underscore, or on her podcast... Paired. Travis Matago was played by Johnny O'Mara, who can be found on Twitter at Johnny and Briefs or on his podcast, Dilettante Ball. I am James D'Amato, your host and game master. You can find me on Twitter at OneShotRPG or on my other podcast, OneShot. The original music featured in this production was composed and performed by Arnie Parrott. You can find Arnie on Twitter at A R N E. P-A-R-R-O-T-T. And you can find more of his work at atptunes.com. This episode was edited by Casey Tony, who can be found on Twitter at Casey Pony, spelled C-A-S-E-Y-P-O-N-E-Y. Or on his own podcast, Neoscum. Our logo was designed by Fiona Shea, who can be found on Twitter at Fiona Pup. The world of Sphere was inspired in part by the music of the Decemberists and the card game Illimat, property of Together Studios. The game used in this production is a modified version of the Genesis role-playing system that was created by a talented group of game designers who were fired by a private equity firm owning Fantasy Flight Games. There are no kings. Take flight, heroes. Strangers who've ever been kind, and once for our friends ne'er rise. Twice to the dearest we're leaving behind, who know we can never deny the call of the sky.